Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. For more information about Adventure Church, please visit our website at adventurechurch.tv. Now prepare your hearts for a message from God's Word. Today we are going to be, I called my message, We Are Family. And when I think about family, I really do believe it's one of the best things that God created. And depending on your background, maybe you've come from maybe a broken family or dysfunctional family, and I would just like to say welcome. Everyone comes from a broken and dysfunctional family. Can I get an amen, right? There's always that one kid who's just a little bit crazier than the rest, and so we all have dysfunctional family, and I like to say let's just put the fun in dysfunctional. Let's just embrace it for what it is. Yeah, there's, there's days that my family is a complete mess, but so is yours, so it's, it's okay. We're in this together. And so I think that's the incredible thing that God has created that bond, that love, that man, there's really no one like family. For Jess and I, we've lived all over the country uh, ministering in different places. And for me to be able to come back home and, and to have family around, I, I'll, I'll just be very honest with you. This church would not be where it's at today if it wasn't for my family. Many of them have invested of uh, their resources, a lot of their time and, and of their talents into this church to see it happen. And many of my friends uh, who've known me as well have done the same thing. And so family and friends are a very awesome thing. A lot of times people will ask me, hey, Kyle, what do you want the church to look like? And this is what I always say. First of all, how many of you love Thanksgiving, right? Is that just not the best holiday? Like, I love Christmas. It's all good. But what other day of the year can you eat as much as you possibly can and then go into a, like, a coma state and just watch football, right? And it's perfectly fine and accepted. It's what everyone's doing. So I, I love that day, but I always tell people that I want our church to look like a Thanksgiving table. Like when you go over to grandma's house, or maybe at this point the, the, the baton's been passed to you and you're hosting it because grandma can't do it anymore or mom and dad can't do it anymore. I, I, I love the idea of a church that has a representation of multiple generations. You know, my grandfather's 88 years old. Uh, he's come to the church a few times and, and his father was a pastor. And, and I'll sit with him at the table and although we're at very different stages of life, he will share with me experiences that, that he had as a pastor's kid. And he'll share with me things that my great-grandfather told him. And it's very uh, uh, powerful thing to get that knowledge from him, that experience. And so I have Grandpa sitting at one end of the table. Then all the way down, four generations, is my son, Maddox, at the other end of the table. And he's kind of at a side table in another chair. You know, like, is, is it your house? Like, you put all the kids at their own table, and the adults sit at the big table. My whole life, I just wanted to get old enough to sit at the big table. And when I finally was old enough, they moved it to my mom's house, and she didn't have a big table. So I still sit with the kids, you know? And so it, it always makes me upset. But I want our church to look that way. I want everyone here, no matter your age, to feel like you have value that you can add to this body of believers, that you have a value that you can invest in our church, that everyone has a seat at the table, that everyone has a voice, and everyone's voice matters. To me, it's a powerful thing when an, when an older person can invest wisdom to a young couple who's struggling to raise their kids or trying to figure out a path for a rebellious teenager, and they can go, hey, you know, I know I'm a little bit older, but I remember when. And this is how we navigated it. There's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of purpose in that. And so at Adventure Church, we are family. We are a big family. And today, those of you who are new, I want you to know that you are welcome here. 
and that you belong here just as you are, no matter your issues. Again, we all have issues. We all have baggage. We all have issues that we're, we're struggling through in this very moment. But no matter of your issues, you are welcome here. Why? Because God welcomes you, because Jesus welcomes you with all of your issues. That's the awesome thing about our Savior is that no matter where you're at, no matter where you're at on the journey, he says, man, you're welcome to, to, to be belong. You're welcome to be invited in to what he offers. In Scripture, the Apostle Paul was writing the church in uh, 1 Thessalonians, and he was encouraging them that they were doing the right thing. How many of you know that's a good thing when you get a letter, remember, from your teacher that they actually are, uh, you know, saying, hey, the behavior's great. They're encouraging the behavior. They're wanting to see it reproduced. And so he's writing this letter to encourage these people to keep up the good work. And today, I want to tell that to our church. I think one of the best things, the compliments that I can get from our church is I always ask people, hey, what did you think? What about your experience? We send an email out to everyone and say, hey, what, was, what are some good things that you experienced at our church? And all the time, people go, man, everyone was so friendly. I felt at home. And when I hear those words, I say, man, we're doing it right. We're doing it right. And so today, I hope that you felt at home. I hope that you feel welcome here. And so today, this message is to encourage all of you to keep doing the same thing. And these are characteristics that Paul describes here that I think if we apply them to our own families, that we can have strong, healthy families. First Thessalonians 5, chapter 12, or verses 12 through 22. I'll read this. It'll be on the screen and you can follow along in the Adventure Church app as well today. <clears throat> it says this, dear brothers and sisters. So right there, he's saying brothers and sisters, dear family, dear, dear people who are doing life together. <clears throat> He says, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. I was pausing there for an amen. You know, that's, that's my affirmation. I'm the leader in the Lord's work, but uh, you can tell me later that I'm doing a good job, I guess. Then verse 13, he says, show them respect, great respect, and, and wholehearted love because of their work, and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are being lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for, for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. So for our church family and for your family to continue to be the family that God wants it to be, to be strong, to have a healthy foundation, to raise our kids in a family so they will fear and know God. These are some characteristics that Paul describes that I think we need to have. And the first one is this. It says, honor and respect leadership. And I don't want this to just be like, hey, respect the, the church leadership, the church staff, the elders, the board, whatever it is. I think it goes beyond that. I think he's saying to respect leadership in general, respect the leadership of your family, for children to respect your, your parents. In the, the, the Ten Commandments, one of them is honor your mother and father, to honor and respect one another. He says, honor them for they work hard. They give spiritual guidance. And that's what our job as parents is to be for our kids. We're supposed to be the leaders in our home. A lot of times in youth ministry, people would bring their kids to me as a youth pastor and they would, their kids would have some issues and they'd say, hey, can you fix them? And I would say, no, I can't fix your kid. I see your kid an hour a week. How am I supposed to fix your kid? 
And they would be, and I would partner with them and we'd try to help them, but it would always come back to the responsibility of raising your children to honor and respect you is, is your own. And we have a great kids ministry here, and they do a fantastic job of investing in your children every time that they're here, but it's an hour a week. That's not enough time to see them know and fear God. And so we need to make sure that we're raising our kids in a way that they do respect that. Respect is earned and not given, right? It's earned and not given. If you lead from a, uh, if we demand respect, we'll never get it. I used to have a manager at my work, and he was the best manager I ever worked for when I was a high school kid working at Kroger. And no matter what he wanted me to do, he would always ask me nicely to do it. He'd say, hey, Kyle, can you go and do this? Hey, could you, hey, man, I know you got a lot going on, but would you be willing to go do this? And I would say, yeah, absolutely. But if a manager just came to me and barked orders and said, go do this, he had every right as my manager to say, go do that. Get that done. Why isn't this done yet? I wouldn't respect and honor him. And so the way that we lead can, can earn the respect that we want. We can't just demand it for people to follow us out of obligation and not out of respect. If someone follows you out of obligation, it'll never be a healthy relationship. And the thing is this, is that we can't earn respect without serving one another. And that's what he's encouraging them to do. He says, honor and respect those because they have served you well. So when, as leadership in the church serves well, you should honor that and respect that. And as, as you lead well in your families, that we should honor and respect one another. Mom and dad, you know, husband and wife, respect one another. But that respect is earned from serving. He also warned them to urge those who are being lazy to get it together, to get going, to get serving, because that's the way we're going to work it out. So my thing is this, is that our flesh, my flesh, never wants to serve. It doesn't. I never naturally go, man, I just can't wait to walk through the door to greet my kids. Now I'm excited to see them and to realize that my wife has been watching them all day long and she's going to need all the help that she can get from me. And I'll tell you, a lot of times I don't do very well at that. My flesh says, turn on Sports Center, grab a seat on the couch, ignore these kids altogether. That's what I want to do. Can I just be honest? Don't look at me all holy. You do the same thing. <laughs> And I just want to go, man, I've had a long day. I've had meeting after meeting. I just want to disconnect. And I don't want to watch Riley do her tuck jump 500 times. You know, I don't want her to put stuff on my head. You know, I just, I, but I can't do that. I need to, to serve. In, in John 15, Jesus, our, our, our God, our master says that he, he got down. One of the last things he did before he went to the cross is that he bent down and he washed all of his disciples' feet. Washed their feet. They didn't have Nikes, okay? They had sandals. They lived in a very sandy, dirty, dusty climate. It wasn't a thing that he wanted to do. And he was the son of God, holy, and he bends down and washes feet, and he stands up to his disciples. One of the parting things he said to them, he said, now go and do what I've done. Follow my example. He said, no servant is greater than their master, and your master has bent down and washed feet. He says, so go and serve one another in that same way. And when we do that, when we serve our spouse that way, when we serve our kids that way, it's a powerful thing where respect isn't demanded. It's, it's, it's very much earned and it's very much given because out of a heart of serving. I love that's the awesome thing about family to me that when honor and respect is there, it's I got your back no matter what. Many of you, you have a brother, you have a sibling, a, uh, your spouse, whoever it is that says no matter what happens through thick and thin, we're in this together. And that's an awesome thing that you can't find anywhere else in this world. So he says, honor and respect leadership. The second thing he said was be patient, encourage, and love each other. 
I know that's a lot to pack into one, but I really wanted to fit them all in there today. Be patient, encourage, and love one another. Verses 13 through 15, it says, and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. And that's a powerful passage there that really describes what a healthy family should look like. You know, we have the opportunity with our words, James says in the book of James, he was Jesus' brother, he's a very straight shooter, and he says that we have the power to bring life or death with what we say, with the words that come out of our mouth. A lot of times I'll, I'll uh, counsel people who are married and counsel families through difficult things, and that's one of the first things I ask them. I was like, how do you honor and respect each other? How do you encourage one another? And what we don't realize is, is that when we're negative about our own family, about our spouse or about our kids or about a, a family member who doesn't even live with us, a sibling, an aunt and uncle, when we tear them down with our words, we're tearing down our own kingdom. We're tearing down our own family without even realizing we're doing it. We're sowing negative thoughts. We're sowing negative uh, words into that and tearing it down. Nothing is going to build your family up but being positive, but stay being an encouragement and showing love to them. We need to be patient with that. When we complain and, and do those things, it, it just tears down the foundation of what God's trying to build up. And so we have to make sure that when we are uh, engaging our family, when we are in this church body, no matter where it is, that we stay positive, that we focus on the good and not the bad, that we see the glass half empty and not half full, that we get a broader perspective than just the situation that we're in and we actually begin to say good things. And so I want to challenge everyone here today for the next 24 hours, okay, just 24 hours, one day, that you say nothing negative in the conversations that you have with your family. Some of you are laughing. Like, oh my, not going to happen. I'm watching the Bengals tonight in their preseason game. How am I going to get through that without saying something negative? Or the Steelers, they were really bad. But, but let's try 20, 24 hours. When you, when you get the temptation to go to your kid, to your spouse, where you go, I'm just going to bite my tongue. Maybe you don't say anything at all. Sometimes that's better. And you just kind of cool down or whatever it is. But try to say positive things. So even though, you know, it could be a challenging thing, find the positive in it and begin to speak those things. And I think you'll be surprised how it begins to build life into your family and not bring death. I'm thankful for, for my wife. And many of you know her. My wife is probably one of the most patient people I've ever been around. And Lord knows I need it. <laughs> I needed a patient wife because I'm very stubborn, I'm very hard-headed, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm far from where I need to be as a father and as a husband and to, to lead my family the way that I want to and the way I know God's called me to. I don't always get it right. I fail a lot. I lose my patience. I lose my cool. But I'm thankful that Jess never tears me down. She never does. Now, we, we, we fight a little bit, but, but she's very encouraging. She always will try to find the positive and speak life into it. And I can't tell you what that does for me and helps me to get my act together a little bit to go, man, I need to be more like her. I need to respond that way. Because I've had to, literally, I've had to repent to my kids, to, to Riley before, for losing my cool, for losing my patience. You know, I, I, I justified a little bit because she did hit me in the head with a hard toy and I didn't see it coming. <laughs> But I, I can lose my cool. 
And, and as we know, Riley is, is very, she's almost four, and so she can, she can repeat anything, anything, you know? And, and sometimes I hear things that come out of her mouth, and I go, oh my gosh, that's me. That's my bad attitude. Those are my negative words that I've put into her and is coming out. And, and I've had to look at her and go, Riley, I'm sorry that I, that I snapped. I'm sorry that I lost my cool because I have to be able to model what I want her to do. We just got Maddox a little, and Riley, a little basketball hoop, a little tykes. And we have about four or five balls that they can use, but they both want the same one. They both want the same one all the time. Riley doesn't even want it to shoot baskets with. She wants to ride around with it on her little bike in the house. And they fight all the time. And, and, and it's those kind of things where I lose it. I just go, oh my gosh, it's a ball, Riley. And I try to reason with a four-year-old. I do. And it's, it's pointless, right? I'm going, don't you understand this? Like, this is how it works. And she'll nod her head and then walk away and go, mine. And I want it back, you know. And I, and I can lose my cool. And they can drive me crazy. Even though they are a gift from the Lord, they can drive you crazy, right? I mean, literally to the point where you just can, what am I going to do? But I have to be, make sure that as the, the leader of my home that I'm patient, that I encourage them, that I love them, because they're going to model that behavior. For our families to be all that God wants it to be, we have to be patient with each other. We have to speak positive words and not build up. We have to do our best to care, to always return good to people, to never pay back evil for evil. He's describing this family. And if we can do those things, I believe that our families will be much better off. I believe that our church will be much better off when we stay positive about what's happening. When you come in and all of a sudden you can't find a seat because we're growing and you come in and, and the music is a little loud that day and, and you didn't get the phone call that you wanted to get, that we stay positive, that you realize that, yes, as church leadership, we're going to make mistakes. There's going to be times where volunteers and kids let you down a little bit, but we're in this together. We're family. No one's perfect, so we're going to be, uh, stay patient, encourage, and love each other. The next thing is that we need to stay positive and prayerful. Stay positive and prayerful. And I know these kind of play together a little bit. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, he says, always be joyful. Look at your neighbor and say, always. How many of you are always joyful? Yeah, some of you. Some of you are lying right now in church of all places. That you're always joyful. And I saw a Bengals fan raise their hand, so I know it's not true. I know it's not true. Always be joyful. Never stop praying, he said. How many of you pray without ever stopping? Right? We can't. Be thankful in all circumstances. Look, look at the word Jesus there. Always, never, all circumstances. For this is God's will for you. He says this is the will of God, that you are positive and prayerful. And this is the thing. We can't always do that, obviously. Paul's trying to get the point across that we need to, we need to have more of this than not in our life where we remain positive in, in all situations. But the only way that you can remain positive in any situation is to be prayerful, is to allow God to help you. Our human flesh cannot allow us to have peace in the middle of a storm. 
It just doesn't. We naturally worry. We naturally get anxious when your kid's sick, when something's going on in your family. We don't naturally stay positive. We don't naturally stay prayerful. So we have to be very intentional that when a storm comes, when a difficult situation comes where we lean heavy on God and the Holy Spirit that he gives us in our life to help us to say, God, I need you to stay positive. I need you so that I can remain prayerful. So God, I intentionally right now in the middle of this chaos, I invite you in. That's what we need to do. In the middle of all of it, say, God, I need you so bad right now. I'm not going to be able to remain positive. I don't know how I'm going to find joy, but God, I know you can do anything, the Bible says. And I'm telling you, we, we went through a very difficult time with Riley. And I, I talk about it a lot because it was, very, it was a very trying time in our life. When she was five weeks old, she had open heart surgery. And, and, and if, if I wasn't prayerful, if I wasn't connected to God and staying in prayer and staying in his word and praying with Jess, there's no way I would have had the peace that we had. People would say, I have no idea how you got through that. I say, I don't either, because God did it. He brought the peace. He's the one that can get you through those things. But a lot of times, our natural tendency as humans, just as humans, is when it gets tough, we we start backing away from God. We start pulling away. And instead, we have to be very intentional to remain positive, to, to get a big perspective, and to say, God, I need your help. God, I need you to be involved in this. It's the only way that we can do that through difficult times. I always say this, is that as, as people, as, as Christians, as the leaders in our church, at our work, and in our families, that we need to be thermostats and not thermometers. Thermostats and not thermometers. Let me explain that to you a little bit. A thermometer, right, just simply tells you what the temperature is, right? A thermostat can actually change the temperature. It can change it. You can adjust it to go up. You can go down. Then the thermometer will actually tell you, hey, this is what the temperature is. Most of us are thermometers, right? We walk into a situation, we go, well, this is awful. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I know. You know, well, it's really hot in here. Thank you. You know, I I couldn't tell myself. You know, well, this is going to be a challenge. This is a difficult financial. Yes, we know that. So we just want to talk, again, the complaining, the natural things, the flesh, all those things are to come out. But if we can remain prayerful, and we do that by being intentional, then if we're a thermostat, we, we can actually change the feeling of a room, right? Have you ever been around someone who's, who's positive like that, who can walk into a room, and even though it's a difficult situation, maybe it's a coworker or a family member, and it, you go, man, this is going to be a challenge. They go, you know what? We can do it, right? They rally the troops together. They encourage people. And what does that do? It raises everyone else up to that level. And so we can be a thermostat to actually change the attitude, to change what's going on around us, to say, you know what, I'm going to be positive. I'm going to be prayerful. I'm going to intentionally do that. I'm going to go into this situation with a good perspective, knowing that God is good, that he's always with me. He never leaves me. And my family, our church, is going to make it through these things. I set the tone. You set the tone. Our attitudes are very contagious. Again, I would say this. You're a thermostat. The thermometer is usually my wife, right? She tells me, hey, you're being crabby. You're being this. She's a good read at that. She's also a good thermostat. But here's the thing. Your kids are mirrors. Your children, they're mirrors. They're a reflection of you. And again, it humbles me sometimes where I go, oh my gosh, that is so me. When Riley picks her nose and those kind of things, I'm like, I was just like... But when it's the negative sometime where I go, oh Lord, please God. I get intentional right in that moment. God, help me not to say that anymore. Help me not to respond that way because I see it in my kids. You want to know what your family's like? You want to know what your house feels like? If you have children in the house, take a look at them. See how they act. See how they respond. I love the quote from Remember the Titans 
where was a conflict was going on. It was the struggle between the two races and trying to bring them together to be a team. And the one guy looks at the other guy and he said, attitude reflects leadership, captain. And that's really how it is in our family. Parents, we set the tone. We're the leaders in the family. We're the leaders in the church. And your attitude will be contagious. So we have to make sure that we have a good attitude. So first of all, we need to honor and respect the leadership around us. We need to be patient, encourage, and love one another. These are great characteristics of a healthy family and a healthy church. We need to stay positive and prayerful in what we do. And lastly, we need to let God lead. We need to let God lead. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22, it says, don't stifle the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It, says, don't, it really means, means don't get in the way of what God is trying to do. Don't get in the way of what he wants for your kids, what he wants for your family. Don't get in the way of that. Don't scoff at prophecies, which is really the word of God. When you're getting instruction and hearing from God, it says test everything, but, but hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. We have to let God lead our church. We have to let God lead our families. And so for some of you, you may go, well, how do I do that? Obviously, God's in control. I know it. I respect God. I'm here in church today. I understand that, that he is there, that he created this world, you know, all that stuff. But what we have to realize is, and I still think this is a struggle, we walked through a, a pretty challenging series the last couple of weeks at our church, really talking about some issues that all of us can face and struggle with. And I think at the end of the day, what it comes down to is, is that we still struggle to believe that God's way is best that he knows what is best for us. And it, when you really look at it, you go, well, that's, that's kind of dumb because he created me. The Bible says he knows the amount of hairs on my head or not on my head, that he knows those things, that he knows us very intimately, that he formed us in our mother's womb, the Bible says, that he's created this plan, that he's the alpha and the omega, the, the beginning from the end, that he knows your whole story. You're in chapter you know, 18 right now. Maybe you're in four. Maybe you're, you're closer to the end of the story. But God knows how the whole thing is going to play out. The beginning from the end. He knows it. And yet we struggle with trusting him with our future. We struggle with saying, God, your way is better than mine. I think I know what's best, but God, I really don't. So God, I am going to let you lead. I have to do that as the pastor of this church. We're a family here. We want everyone to belong, but I'm leading this family, this community of believers right here. And there's times where I just have to step back and go, God, I have no idea how we're gonna get the money to do some of the things that you've put in the heart to accomplish the vision that we have here. God, I have no idea what we're gonna do, what's gonna happen in the future. Where are we gonna be permanently? What, are we gonna get land? Are we gonna, I have no idea. But at the end of the day, I just have to step back and go, God, it's your church. These are your people, they're not mine. I can't control everything that happens. God, help me to lead the best way that I can. And so that's how we allow God to lead, is that we have to listen to what he's saying. How do you listen? To what he's saying, or I'm sorry, we have to, to in order to listen, we have to, to hear, right? We have to take time to, to hear from God. You know, Riley can hear everything that I say, right? She, she picks up the audible sound coming into her ears, but does she listen? No. But in order for her to hear me sometimes, I literally have to grab her, I have to get down on eye level with her and say, Riley, look at daddy. No, 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 don't look, at, don't look there, don't look there, look me right in the eye right now. Are you listening to me? Uh-huh. Are you sure? Can you blink, please? You know, okay. 
And I have to make sure that she's comprehending what I'm saying. A lot of times, for many of us, we want God to lead. We want him to be involved in our family. And that's why I left it for the very last point, because it's the most important point that we have. But it's often the, the least thing that we spend time doing. Let me ask you, how, how much time do you spend trying to hear from God? How much time do we spend in God's word getting the instruction that we need? How much time do we say, God, I'm, I'm listening. Will you speak to me? The Bible says that he will, that he does. But you'll never hear unless you stop. And then once we hear the word, we have to actually listen to what God's saying. When we read God's word, James says again, he says, don't just be hearers of the word. Don't just, don't just hear a message on a Sunday. Don't just read something in a book. He says we gotta be doers of God's word. And that's how we allow God to lead our family. Fathers, we need to lead spiritually. God has given us that responsibility to lead our family in the things of God, to make him a priority, bringing him into your home. He's not just going to show up. We have to invite. The Bible says that God stands at the door and knocks. You know, He's at your front door all the time saying, I'd love to come in, hang out with your family. I'd love to come in, but we have to open the door. How do we do that? We be intentional. We take time as a family to read God's word. We take time as a family to pray together. You take time as an individual to say, God, I need to hear from you. I need your guidance in my life. I want you to be in control. You're the one that's in charge. We need to read God's word, pray, get in a life group together, make church a priority for your family. I know it's tough sometimes. I know it's difficult, but make it a priority to say, God, we're a family. We're in this together. The band's gonna come. We're gonna close out. And today, I wanna give you an opportunity If you're here today and you would say, Kyle, God isn't leading my life. What does that mean for God to lead our life? It simply means that we, again, invite him and we give him control. As Carrie Underwood said, Jesus, take the wheel, right? That's what we do. We just say, God, I'm not in the driver's seat of my life anymore. I want you to be in control. And the Bible says because of sin that all of us are separated from God. That all of us, sin separates us from God but that God loved us so much that Jesus came and he paid the price for our sin. In the Old Testament, there was a sacrifice that had to be presented for forgiveness of sin to be granted. And that's what God did through his son, Jesus. He gave him as a gift. And all he says that we have to do, we don't have to clean ourselves up first. We don't have to get everything right. We don't have to make our family perfect before we can do all these things. No, he says, all you have to do is to acknowledge him, to say, God, you are God. I acknowledge that. You're in control, not me. And today, God, I I give you control of my life. And then we ask him to forgive us of our sins, to come into our life, to cleanse us of our past. And the Bible says that when we do that, when we acknowledge God and we ask, when we ask him for that forgiveness, the Bible says that he's faithful and just to do it without question, that he gives it to you. He freely gives you the forgiveness that you're looking for.